0: (laughs) Yeah. Christian Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and Uproxx.com. I'm your host, Stephen Hyden. Today we're going to be talking about Christian rock, specifically the 1995 album Jesus Freak by DC Talk, one of the biggest albums in the history of Christian rock, and really one of the big albums in 90s alt rock. And yet no one ever talks about this album. It sold 2 million records. It spawned a top 40 hit called Between You and Me. It's an album that, if you grew up in the church in the mid '90s, if you went to youth groups and you went to Christian music festivals, this album was a part of your life. It may have been one of the first rock records you were ever allowed to own, and yet it sort of disappeared from the mainstream of 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 music history. You know, we don't put it in the same context as Bush or Live or like a lot of the other bands that kind of followed in. The footsteps of the big grunge bands of the time, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam, but Jesus Freak is a record very much in that vein. It's, it's it. There's a song on there, the title track. It's a direct rip off of te- of Smells Like Teen Spirit. <laughs> like they are, ba- they are baldly ripping off Nirvana, and yet the lyrics take it in a totally different direction. It's a song about the alienation of being a Christian, about being afraid to express your beliefs publicly, about. The need to be proud of who you are and and to express your your, your love of the Lord and all those things. And that's a message that resonated with a lot of people. And it's a reason why even now, if you bring up DC Talk to people, they're a band that still matters to a lot of Christians out there and even non-Christians. People who maybe fell away from the faith, but DC Talk meant a lot to them at a certain time of their lives. And there's still a lot of nostalgia tied up in Jesus Freak. So, I wanted to talk about this record, and the person I talked about it with is, is Riley Walker, who you may know, he's a great folk rock artist, he's put out a series of great records, his album from this year, Deaf Man's Glance, uh, is one of my favorites of, of 2018. You may remember he was on the podcast in, I think, 2016, and he put out one of my favorite records of that year as well. You may know Riley, too, if you're on Twitter, because he's one of the funniest people uh, on Twitter. He's an essential follow. (laughs) He always tells really great stories about the road. I think he's like a closet music critic, in a way, because he tweets a lot about music, tweets a lot about records. And uh, he's become one of my favorite people to read, you know, talk about music. And I wanted to have him on to talk about Jesus Freak, because I interviewed Riley for UpRocks.com Win Deaf Men's Glance. Uh, came out, and uh, he talked about how he felt that Jesus Freak was this huge record in the 90s that no one ever talked about, and uh, we talked a little bit about, about that record and Christian rock and the influence that it had in both of our lives, because we're both guys from the upper Midwest, <laughs> you know, grew up in churches, and we didn't live in cool towns, so Christian concerts were kind of like the way that we got into music uh, in a lot of ways. And it just seemed like a you know, it was an experience that we shared, and it seemed like something that a lot of people could relate to. So we got into it, we talked about Christian rock in general, and Jesus Freak specifically, and it was a really fun conversation. And I kind of have in my head that um, I'm going to have Riley back, maybe on a semi-regular basis, to do a series that I think I'm going to call it the new canon <laughs> on albums like Jesus Freak, that I think are are actually kind of important historically that people don't really talk about. And I'm going to rally on maybe on a semi-regular basis just to talk about these kinds of albums because I think it's a really kind of fun and interesting thing to talk about. So we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we do, we're going to hear from our friends at Harry's, our sponsor for this week's episode. Now, if you know me at all, you hear me always talking about my beard. You got to take care of the beard. You got to look presentable for the people in your life that love you. I love Harry's because I hate shopping for razors. Razors are expensive. You have to go to the store to get them. I'm a lazy person, so I like the idea that I can just get Harry's delivered directly to my door. I know it's going to be a good product. I know I'm going to look clean-shaven. I like Harry's so much that I'm offering a special offer for my listeners. Now, Harry's stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision, so they created a trial offer. Claim yours by going to harrys.com backslash Rock. Again, that's harrys.com backslash rock. To get your free trial set, it's a $13 value. You're going to get the weighted ergonomic handle. You're going to get the five blade razor, the rich leathering shave gel, and the travel blade cover, a personal favorite of Derek Madden. Love that cover. He loves the cover. So please go to harrys.com backslash rock. Redeem your trial set and make them know that you are supporting this podcast. So again, go to harrys.com backslash rock. So Riley Walker and I, We didn't talk about Riley Walker's music, even though we could have. I love Riley Walker's music. But we didn't talk about that. We talked about DC Talk and Jesus Freak. We had a really fun time doing it. So let's get into it. Let's talk. Let's explore the world of 90s Christian rock, shall we? Here's me and Riley Walker on the Celebration Rock podcast. So Riley, I'm excited to talk to you about this. I feel like we should maybe set the stage here a little bit. Like The reason why we're talking about... DC Talk, Jesus Freak. There's no anniversary tie with this. Yeah, I feel like you normally need something like that to talk about it. But I want to do this sort of semi-regular series with you. I haven't totally conceptualized it in my mind, but I feel like you and I, we've had conversations here and there about sort of random albums from the past that don't get their due. And uh, one album that we talked about in an interview once was Jesus Freak by DC Talk, and you said something really interesting that I hadn't really considered before, but it seems totally right. I think you said something like how that album is like secretly one of the biggest albums of the 90s, and yet no one ever talks about it. And I'm just curious, like, what was your sort of initial uh, encounter with that record? Like, how did that album come into your life?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, DC Talk, Jesus Freak. Well... I wasn't raised particularly religious. You know, my folks weren't really religious people. But, and I guess this is all, you know, all anecdotal or whatever personal experience. But, uh, because it could apply applied. Everybody Find this. But I, my friends, my friend groups were like, Christian kids, you know, and their parents were, like, taking to church. So I got kind of involved with youth groups at a young age. And, uh, you know, I have nothing against the Christian church. I hope none of this comes off like that. You know, it was kind of corny and stuff, and, you know, there's this sort of whole culture of, you know, contemporary Christian music out there. Obviously, you know, it's, it's a trillion billion dollar industry and somehow flies under like the pop culture can It's just, you know, it's so niche obviously for loose people. But I remember being young, you know, eight, nine years old. And this record was just, you know, the biggest, like it was everybody's favorite record. It there was merchandise behind it. There were shirts, there was, you know, lesson plans and Bible studies based around it. And, uh, you know, in the evangelical, contemporary, whatever, Christian church, it was just the big, you know, it was the Sergeant Pepper's like Lonely Hearts Club band of, you know, Christian rock. It was like the big dog. It was the big record. It was a huge crossover, you know, and it kind of had some appeal to youth culture at the time, I guess, because it was grungy and sort of reminiscent of, you know, what was going on in regular pop music at the time. So... Going to church as a kid in youth groups, you know, it was hard to avoid. It was just absolutely at the forefront and the center of everybody's favorite records and music and everything like that.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you and I, you know, there's an age difference here. Like, you're still in your 20s, I think, and I'm I'm 40. So I'm wondering, like, if we came to it at different times. Like, you said you were 8 or 9. I mean, was that still in the 90s, or would that have been, like, early 2000s? No,
1: I mean, I'm 29 now, so I probably, yeah, that would have been 1998. Okay, ninety nine around then, you know, about not eight, nine, ten years old, so, you know, and I was that that record just sort of transcended years and years. It's like it sounds really corny, and I, but it's really like a Nirvana sort of explosion of Christian music, and it gets passed down. It's like cool older kids liked it in the youth group, and you know, it was a cool record to like, and it wasn't some corny gospel record that you find at a dollar. You know, been a dollar bin at some record story notes.
0: Right. Explosion. So let's backtrack a little bit here. Let's give people the context for this album, because you you mentioned that you kind of, you came across it like late 90s, 98 or so. The album comes out in 1995, which was my, I think it came out like my senior year of high school. So I was raised in the church, going to like Sunday school and also youth group stuff. Like, were, were you Lutheran? Or were you like? Were you Catholic? Like, what? What was your denomination?
1: Um, I guess just you know Protestant, Christian, evangelical, you know, contemporary Christian. You know, we think of like Billy Graham or something like that. Okay, that sort of Christianity. Yeah.
0: Okay, so like I was Lutheran, and it was like a it was like a more kind of like liberal wing of of the Lutheran Church. So like. I know that there were some churches that were too conservative even to allow, like, DC Talk to come into the fore. But, like, at my church, Absolutely. Jesus Freak was a pretty big deal. Album comes out in 95. Now, DC Talk, they're a Christian trio that was originally a rap group, and they formed in the late 80s in Virginia. And it was three members, Toby Mack, yeah. Michael, Michael Tate, and Kevin Max, And... I first heard about DC, DC Talk uh, when uh, I was confirmed in the early 90s, and I got a cassette copy of their second album, New Thang, N-U-T-H-A-N-G. Like, Do you know that record at all?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I kind of went backwards in the catalog. you know, was more, <laughs> more of a fan I became. I was like, i got to get into their early stuff. But, you know, yeah, I mean, to set the stage again for anybody who's, you know, tried to block this memory out of their mind or doesn't know anything about D.C. talking, you know, contemporary Christian music kind of came to be, I guess, in the 60s with, like, you know, the sort of, you know, hippie Jesus movement and kind of putting to bed, you know, like the old, like, sort of fire and brimstone, doomsday sort of shit. And I think, you know, more socially liberal sort of churches, especially in America, especially in the Midwest and South, and I guess Inland Empire, parts of California, you know, kind of became more socially liberal, and so there's like Christian rock bands. You know, there was there weren't just influenced by you know however many hymns are in the hymnal book that you're they're used to seeing in Sunday mornings or whatever. You know, influenced by like Bob Dylan or you know folk music. And then I think in the '80s there was artists like uh, Amy Grant, Stephen Curtis Chapman,
0: Michael W. Michael Smith. w. Smith. Yes. And
1: yeah, and there, there was like you know I think there was a big I, don't, I couldn't tell you. I'm talking out of my ass. I don't know how if religion's up or down in the states right now. But in the '80s, I think there was a real big boom, and major labels, you know, like Virgin, kind of saw, you know, they could exploit this. I don't know, sort of movement in music and Christianity, which is coming very big. You know, with televangelism and Billy Graham getting really big. I think there was a, you know, pop culture was ready for its Christian wing. So labels like Virgin had like their own subsidiary of Christian labels, and DC Talk was, you know, three cool, good-looking young kids who can, you know, they're talented for what they do and stuff, and I think they were just due for, like, a big moment in pop culture, and they just became huge.
0: Yeah, they were sort of like, they kind of had, like, a Color Me Bad vibe, you know, because it was, like, a a couple white guys, there was a black guy, they were, like, rapping, but they were sort of, like, clean-cut dudes so like you know the, the, it was like edgy in the context of like christian music but it wasn't like that edgy and i remember like like new thing again being my entree into the dc talk universe like there was a record before that a self-title record that came out in 89 i feel like new thing was like the one that really at least at my church that was like the record that you know was the big one that you first heard about dc talk with and i was listening to that record for the first time in probably 25 years earlier this week, and it, it was wow. weird how, it was weird how much I could remember songs from that record. Like there's a song on there called "I Love Rap Music," and yeah,
1: the song is amazing. You
0: know that's how it's like love is L U V, and I just want to quote one of my favorite verses. Today, some rappers boast, some are making me ill, and those obscene lyrics are overkilled. But I started emceeing way back in the day, and since then, there's been a serious change. You know, I asked Christ to come into my heart, and he gave me a brand new start. And on top of that, he cold gave me dreams doing hip-hop with a Christian theme. So it's sort of like the origin story of DC Talk in this song. Like, they're they're explaining to you how exactly they came to be a Christian rap group, uh, which was, you know, a pretty unique thing. I, I you, know, you By the way, you were like rattling off some very impressive facts about the history of christian rock like I'm, I'm i'm glad that you've stepped up and you did some research before getting on the phone with me this is this is this is fantastic like,
1: yeah I, I in my in my research i found myself just laughing hysterically that i i remembered so much of like you said <laughs> right. it, it, you know it, i'm not like i was never one of those people who, like was burned by a church or whatever like i just like Became very disinterested as I got a bit older. Right. But you know, it's it's funny, I've just forgotten all these things, and I found myself, like you were talking, like listening to DC Talk Records, like I remember word for word most of Jesus Free because I played it front to back constantly. Right. And, you know, and it was just such a, I don't know, every song that comes to you so easy, and it's just all these songs about like martyrdom and how, I don't know, that seems to be a big theme, like I guess at that time with Christian rock. Because you know, Back in the day, I guess there was like fire and brimstone shit, which, you know, turns a lot of people off. And I think, you know, it was mostly just music for middle-class, white Christian people, you know. And when bands like D.C. Talk or whatever sort of CCM artists came along, they were kind of like, yo, let's let's talk to the kids and those who are lost. I think they started to realize, hey, to go back to Jesus Freak right here, there's a quote in the beginning of one of the songs that the biggest cause for atheism today is Christians. And it's like, whoa. Right. That was said... That which I find, which is kind of like, I guess, the whole theme of these sorts of bands is reaching out to kids who wouldn't normally be into Christianity.
0: Well, and, you know, to flash forward a bit, you know, talking about DC Talks Evolution, I mean, they start out again as this, you know, Christian hip-hop group. And I remember even at the time feeling like, okay, this is, like, pretty corny. You know, like, this is, you know, because I, I, it sounded like I'd never listened to rap music. I knew what rap music was, and certainly compared to, like, what was starting to go on in alternative rock at that time, it was it, it was pretty corny. And then there's an evolution that starts to happen. By the time you get to Jesus Freak, where you know they turned into this sort of alternative rock band with like grunge overtones, like a little bit late probably to be doing that. Like I think Jesus Freak came out in '95, so
1: yeah, they were like on the push sort of like exactly you know, of grunge you know it's sort
0: of interesting to think about them in that context of like the bushes and lives and like candle boxes and bands like that the sort of like bubble grunge bands that came along to fill the gap when nirvana wasn't around and like pearl jam was missing a little bit and dc talk filled that role i mean and it's funny because like jesus freak comes out and it was like huge at my church people were playing it all the time and I remember even at the time kind of thinking like, oh, they just sort of did what was the trendy thing to do. Like they kind of like adapted to like what kids were listening to because the, their old sound didn't really work anymore. So now they're going to do this. But it was also like way better done. Like I think I was listening, I've been listening to Jesus Freak this week, getting ready to talk to you. And it's kind of corny at times, but it's like a pretty well done pop rock record.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it was 100% calculated. It wasn't like they had some sort of organic evolution into a rock band at all. It was 100%, you know, marketing. And I, like, tried to find deep research on, like, all the sort of session musicians play with them. Like, okay, were any of these guys involved in any cool bands or anything? It's like the whole CCM scene is based in Nashville and especially around Belmont University, which I don't know if you've heard. It's like a Christian... Uh, You know, Bible College based in Nashville, and they have a big emphasis on music. And everybody who's like a session player big in the CCM scene, like, is a professor, has some sort of tenure, or, uh, you know, works in some way with Belmont. So all these session players on there are just like clean-cut, you know, pop musicians from Belmont who are based in the church. You know, so I think, you know, whatever label or whoever was funding this record at the time and the manager was like, hey, this is the thing now. We've got to reach out to these kids, you know? And <laughs> right. it would, I think it would have been really hard for DC to Talk to continue with threat because it was already so kind of corny. And, you know, that we're talking the early 90s, but once you start getting like, 93, 94, it's like East Coast shit and West Coast shit. It's like the hardest fucking music on the planet. It's like they can't really hold a candle to that without just being totally ostracized and laughed at. So I think they had to just do something rock. I think they just would have... Had they kept doing rap, it just would have been, like, even cornier and cornier. Was, like, they can't keep up with the sound of, like, you know, Dr. Dre's, like, fucking 6th and shit or some sort of, you know, premiere-produced East Coast shit. They just couldn't kept up with it, and I don't think they wanted to, so they just went in the rock direction, which everybody was into at the time.
0: Right, and it's interesting, too, to think about DC Talk in the in sort of, like, the way... Christian rock was positioned at that time. I mean, I mean, you kind of alluded to this before that there was a lot of money being put into Christian rock, and at this time, like in you know, I guess towards the end of the '80s into the '90s, um, where you had bands like DC Talk. And by the way, like when we talk about this being a big record, I mean this record went double platinum. You know, it was like a big selling record, Huge. and they they actually had a pop hit. The song uh, "Between You and Me" was like a top forty hit. And so you have DC Talk, you have Jars of Clay, which was another crossover band. You had uh, MXPX, which is, which is a band I know that's close to your heart that you've talked about Absolutely. before. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I don't, I can't, I, I'm trying to think of like who the big Christian bands are now. I mean, there's that, there's that band Switchfoot that has had some crossover. But Yeah, they got to be,
1: they were like on MTV and stuff. And I have kind of a weird affinity for them too. I don't know, because I liked them a bit, too, when I was, like, in middle school, you know? I mean, at the same time, I was, like, getting into cooler shit and indie rock and stuff, but I still hold, like, these sort of weird bands that, in my heart, and, you know, the whole Christian music culture is just repurposed music. You know, pop music as it is is already, like, repurposed or, you know, off of some sort of fringe culture that corporations can exploit or whatever, and then Christian music, you know, it's always behind the trend. They're not, like, a trend-setting sort of industry at all. So they're always just latching onto what's going on. And they're always like, you know, last in line or last to the party kind of thing. And as soon as something's over, they're just like, wait, we we just got here. We want to rock out now. And but Christian bands now I, I have no idea, I couldn't tell you Reliant K is like a big one I guess. I don't know if they still are, but Reliant K got really big and, you know there
0: have been more aughts, though, aren't they? I mean, because I, I remember, you know, like in my former life as a daily newspaper reporter, I would cover Christian music festivals in Wisconsin, and Reliant K was a big band at that time, you know, like early to mid 2000s. Like, you and I have both been to Life Fest in Oshkosh. Yes. Big- life
1: Fest. This is for the listeners <laughs> at home, this is the most. Small scale, in, like, you think you go to festivals, man. You've never been to Life Fest. Baby.
0: This is like, just this, like, this is a true upper Midwest culture that we're talking about right here. This is like core. Because I, I, honestly, I think for a lot of kids, that might have been the first music festival that they ever went to. You know, like before you go to Coachella or Lollapalooza, you know, your parents aren't going to let you do that at 15, but they're going to let you go to Life Fest and see Reliant K and Switchfoot. You know, like that. Oh, dude! Did you go to
1: Cornerstone?
0: No, is that the one in uh, Kentucky?
1: No, it was like in the middle of Illinois, like in the sticks, like central Illinois, like you know, an hour south of Springfield, just in a fucking cornfield. And that (laughs) was—I don't know if it goes on anymore. I have no idea. But that was a big deal, like Christian punk metal and ska festival. You want to talk about like repurposing sort of culture for Christians? You know, because. In a lot of ways, you know, D.C. Talk, Jesus Freak, as corny as it is and as corny as it may sound, like, you know, there's kids who grew up, like, you know, somewhat fundamentalist or very conservative and rock music is the devil, like, you know, you listen to Led Zeppelin, you're going to hell. Like, D.C. Talk and these sorts of bands were, like, a form of rebellion for, you know, a lot of kids. And I think Jesus Freak had, like, feedback in the beginning of songs and, like, they screamed the lyrics and there was, like, somewhat, I want to say abrasive rapping because it's kind of soft. But, you know, like really sort of edgy for Christian rock and Christian music. It was a form of rebellion for a lot of kids. First time in their lives, they could be like, I can listen to a rock record and my parents won't send me to my room to read the book of Revelation or whatever, you know?
0: (laughs) Right. I just wonder, too, like, you know, kind of getting back to what it was like in the 90s, because there really was like an alternate universe of Christian rock bands where, like I know at my church, there was literally a poster in the youth room where it would list secular bands on like one column it would say like if you like metallica you will like this band and there were like christian equivalents for like every major band and I, i i assume there's something like that now but i just wonder if a couple of things have come into play where either a there's not as much money in the music industry anymore so like the money that got funneled into sort of supporting a lot of these bands isn't there anymore or if because of the internet it's just harder to have these alternate universes now where you you know it's like if you're a kid in a small town that goes to church and like your, your your peer group all go to the same church maybe it's easier to create this world where like DC Talk Jesus Freak is like a huge record and you're not going to hear any other records because it's like we have this CD and that's all you're going to hear I mean, maybe maybe that still exists. I don't know. My, my sense is that it's, that that scene isn't as prominent now as it was at that time.
1: Yeah, and again, to set the stage for people listening, uh, contemporary, I think, evangelical sort of movements, I say evangelical as a bit of a blanket statement. Like we're talking mega churches, you know, with like light shows started to become a thing and, you know, multimedia sort of presentations in churches. There's this huge movement to push away and so many bands came about that and I I really don't know how churches are doing now, but definitely the internet probably destabilized any sort of, you know, sort of central record collecting Christian people. I don't know. And <laughs> I asked one of my friends who still is uh, involved in the church, like in an evangelical church, I called me the other day I was like, Oh man, you're gonna love this. I'm talking about D C talk later this week and because so many bands when I was because I mostly went to church because I was, I got to play guitar. They gave me like fifty bucks a week every Wednesday to play guitar in the band. I didn't really find myself, you know, with any sort of convictions or sort of personal relationship with God or. But I had fun, made a lot of friends there. I got to play guitar there, and at that time, every sort of contemporary Christian worship band was ripping off U two a lot. Like every because Bono is sort of a figurehead for. A lot of contemporary Christian people. You know, Bono right. <laughs> kind of says these big grand things and has like a lot of Christian elements and spiritual themes in his music and lyrics. And so every band, you know, in the early 2000s or late 90s was trying to sound like you two in the sense of just big choruses and big delay pedal guitars. And I asked my friend, like, what, do what does every Christian band sound like now? And he's like, oh, everybody's into Arcade Fire and Mumford. There's like a big, like, <laughs> sort of alt-folk indie rock thing going on in Christian music now. So I think it still happens, just on a very small, different scale. And they like Arcade Fire.
0: Right. Which makes sense, because there is something sort of, you know, churchy about Arcade Fire, even though they're not really, I mean, I guess they've, like, criticized religion and their music, but, like, in terms of, like, the big choruses and, you know, a big kind of group of people singing at the same time, there is something kind of church choir-like about that. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt, I just have to add that um, when I, because I went to church in prob- until probably 2005, maybe, when I was like 14. I still went occasionally, but, I, you know, that's I, by the time I quit. But Shukyan Steven, Illinois, was a big record for Christian people that I knew. Yeah. Because he had so many, like, he was beloved by, like, sort of contemporary Christian scene, and I think, you know, he still is. I think all those sorts of churches are getting more social liberal at least the one I went to and was familiar with but 2 Stevens Illinois and Michigan and what's the one with Seven Swans everybody loves Seven Swans like they had Christians like love that stuff and I think there's a band called David Crowder band this is insane I can't believe I remember this <laughs> there's a band called David Crowder band he's actually from I think they're from Brainerd Minnesota or something like that You know, so we're talking upper Midwest again which has deep Nordic Christian roots in it. Yeah. And they sounded exactly like Steve Found Stevens. So I think that sort of carried on, and maybe that's still a thing, you know. Sort of twee, folky, uh, honest, and delicate music is sort of going on in Christian music now, I suppose.
0: Right. Let's go back to the record here as far as like the highlights from the album. I, you know, I guess you got to start with the title track uh, Jesus Freak. And I think you alluded to this earlier, but like one of the themes of this album is I think pretty relatable to a lot of Christian people, which is the idea that like you're going to be judged for being Christian or for being like expressing your beliefs. And that is what this song is about. And it's a pretty like bald face ripoff of Smells Like Teen Spirit. I, I Am I wrong there? I mean, it seems like they're directly just ripping that song off with maybe some oh, other Nirvana songs like, filtered in there. They're
1: like, the, the guitar riff comes in and like the same drum, you know, like that brings it into the song. It's 100% like a rip off of Smells Up like Teen Spirit and or any Nirvana song for that matter.
0: And there's that line in the song where he says, I think this is... Uh, Kevin Mack saying this. By the way, do you have a favorite member of DC Talk? I think Max is my favorite.
1: Max is cool. He tries to be like the quiet, outcast, arty one. But I, in all sincerity, I think the most talented out of them all is Michael Tate. Oh, he has yeah. Like an, he has a really incredible voice. And like, I was listening to it, you know, and it, like, he, he has a great voice. They're all really talented with it, do. I, I can't say that enough. They're all really, really good at what they do. Michael Tate.
0: So we're both putting Toby Mack distant third. Toby
1: Mac is the brains behind the band though. He writes all the lyrics and produces all the songs. So Yeah, I learned that too. He's like the, kind of the brains behind the operation, and you know, I think for a while he's like their manager. Yeah, he writes all the lyrics and produces all the songs.
0: So, so Toby yeah, Mac, we're going to say like he's the Spengali. Tate is the voice, and then <laughs> Max is sort of like the attitude. Because Max kind of looks like he could have been like in Fuel. Or filter or something like he could have you know you know what I mean like he looks like he could have been one of those bands because he you know,
1: oh yeah just like insane receding hairline with a soul <laughs> patch just like hair plug to hell right you know, repl- replacement bassist yeah he's kind of
0: sucking that. in his cheeks actually I read an interview that he did in 1998 when uh, I guess it was the last studio record Supernatural came out and he actually refers to himself at one point as a pop star. I think he, like, he, like, he starts a sentence saying, as a pop star, yada, yada, yada. And I thought, yeah, man, you are the pop star of DC Talk. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a mulligan on that one.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just a quick note, I think, you know, because a lot of these guys and girls and whoever in these bands, in Christian contemporary bands, I was actually going back to MXPX. I was reading an interview with my career of MXPX. You know, they started that band when they were 15, which, I don't know, I didn't know any... I'm 29 now, I don't know shit. And at 15, I was kind of just like, yeah, you know, I'll kind of go along with the rules when I have to do... You know, the older they get, they're just like, wait, I don't really believe in this shit. I started this band when I was 15. It got into this business. So I think there's like might be some sort of weird resentment like Kevin Max has. It's like, no, I'm actually a pop star. I want to be taken seriously, you know? well, yeah. That's why I find that
0: weird. Like in that same interview, he talks about how much he loves Freddie Mercury and like the interviewers taking him to task a little bit for, for liking Freddie Mercury because uh, I don't know if it's because Freddie Mercury, Mercury was gay or because he was just like a decadent rock star, but they're, they're, they're sort of saying the, the, the implication from the interviewer is that Kevin Mack should not be promoting Freddie Mercury as the lead singer of DC talk, which I thought was another very interesting wrinkle of that. Yeah, it's insane of that interview. So, you know, this theme running through the record, kind of talking about, I guess, the angst of Christians feeling like in the outside world or the secular world, it's hard for them to sort of talk about their beliefs and without being ridiculed or having to like defend themselves, which, you know, I think is something that a lot of people connected to when they heard this record from people from that community. Then you have that song Between You and Me, which is this sort of mid tempo poppy song. It kind of sounds like a Dunkin' Chic type song, you know, like a kind of, kind of easy, easy listening kind of alternative like it's like a pretty good song um and it is i think maybe the quintessential example of like a christian song that um never references god directly you can interpret the lyrics as being about god but it's like not explicit and like that's why it became a hit and i just wonder about the irony of that song being the breakout song on this record that's sort of about being A Christian, unapologetically very kind of out Christian, and yet the breakout song is this sort of stealth pop hit that doesn't really talk about God directly.
1: Oh yeah, I uh, was—I found an old uh, issue of Billboard magazine while I was like, you know, researching the hell out of this record for God, Jesus, (laughs) last few weeks now.
0: I love this. uh,
1: Yeah, there was a guy, you know, from Virgin or you know the subsidiary around Virgin. I forget what it's called exactly. But the guy's like, yeah, you know, we love the record. We love their beliefs. We never want to change them. But we heard this one song between you and me, and we knew this was the single. It's like, well, yeah, you want to play it on FM radio. They don't talk about evangelizing or, you know, going against the grain with faith or whatever. You know, it's, it's just like, it's a total pop song. And I know mean, you can find God in anything. You know, I could probably find God in whatever fucking song you pull out of our asses to make something <laughs> up. But that one is totally just like, they're like, oh, yeah, we love what they're doing, but, you know, we saw this was the hit because, you know, absolutely. So there was was total marketing, and I think they knew that 100%. You
0: know, one thing I remember from this time, you know, because I started writing about bands around this time, and there was definitely a community of, 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 of kind of punk and emo bands that got their start playing churches. Even though they weren't, like they weren't, like, really talking about God in their songs. Like, again, like, they, they kind of rode that line where the you in a song could be a girl or it could be Jesus, you know, but it was never really spelled out one way or the other. And it seemed like for a while anyway that that was, like, a a great way to get started as a band because instead of playing basement shows, like, where you might make you know 20 bucks or whatever and sleep on someone's piss stained floor you could make hundreds of dollars and stay at these nice churches and it was almost like a like a like a high class uh you know alternative uh like like uh you know like circuit or something that you could go play as a baby band like did you ever encounter because you said i know you said that you played guitar like in praise bands did you ever did you ever have any connection to that kind of thing you know at that time
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, again, I went to kind of a socially liberal sort of church. Um, and so there was like a student program to there, too, for like 18 and 19 year olds. I was kind of like somewhere between uh, getting a college degree and an internship. I don't know. It's probably a fucking scam. But they got like 18 <laughs> and 19 year old kids from all around the country to come to this mega church I was going to, to, you know, study the Bible and eventually become a pastor or preacher, or whatever you want to call it. And all those kids were like really cool. Like we really looked up to them, and a lot of them were in like hardcore and emo bands that were like, you know, raised Christian. And I think they kind of played the circuit of Christian churches, but you know they weren't overtly like you know trying to convert people or anything like that. It wasn't like a mission of any sort. It was just, and I find that so weird. You know, so there's like, I just, people know way more about this than me. But like, touch and or not touch and go goddamn. Dude, the Nail Records. Yeah you know, that was like a really big label and I think they still are and they always promote. I think, you know, they started as mostly Christian and, you know, there's some overt bands There's like emo, punk, indie, hardcore, metal bands. You know, they were all Christian, not even overtly. They just like had members who were Christian I think a lot of those people just didn't want to go outside of what they knew at all so they kind of stuck to this sort of label. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I encountered it all the time. Like I was hyper aware of that sort of scene all these people playing churches i went to tons of shows at churches of punk bands you know like the insiders were a ska band five iron frenzy right you know all these bands you know and it was like they would play like an hour of like fun jokey silly ska songs you know where it's like doo, 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 whatever ska song and then you know, at the end it's like okay guys here's why we're really here, you know, so there's always, like, a, an hour of fun, and then 10 minutes, of like, oh, come on, man, just right. go back to singing about, I always want to stank, man, I don't want to read the Bible.
0: <laughs> I know, I just want to eat chicken fingers and uh, cotton candy at these Christian music festivals, and, and Absolutely,
1: it, it's just, like, all this stuff just, like, hits me so hard, man, because I can remember, like, the food you get these airheads for twenty five cents, and you know you get a can of Mr. Pib for seventy five. You know, right? And every everything started at five thirty on like a Saturday <laughs> evening. Was,
0: well, I remember going to festivals that would start like at noon, and you'd be there like all day long. Like your parents would just drop you off on a Saturday, and you would go to these like day long things, like in a gymnasium somewhere and it would just be christian bands all day and then there would occasionally be speakers in between there it'd be like usually some guy wearing a headset you know one of those cool kind of preacher guys you know but like you'd have that and it was like a like a day-long thing and you know i said this earlier and i was kind of joking but it is the truth that these were the first concerts i really went to and certainly the first music festivals i ever went to like i was going to these shows when i was 12 13 years old and you know i wasn't old enough to go to you know the cool bands or whatever and i wouldn't have known who they were anyway probably at that point um So in a way, I mean, I feel like in terms of just being interested in music, it was like sort of the beginning of that. And it was like genuinely exciting to see these bands. I mean, especially if if you never saw live music before, you know, to see a Christian band that was kind of playing music that sounded like what you heard on the radio, but they were singing, you know, about Jesus. You know, It was a pretty thrilling thing.
1: Oh, and me too. I mean, some of the first concerts I ever saw. I think Jars would play might have been the first concert I ever saw <laughs> at a church outside of Madison in Middleton or something like that, you know. And they never played, like, the big markets, you know. it was. It's kind of like a strange, not exactly the same, but like a Chitlin circuit of just, like, yeah. they know their audience, you know. So they'd play, like, Lake in the Hills, Illinois, Crystal Lake, Illinois, um, you know, Onalaska, Wisconsin, Petrick, Wisconsin, you know, just, like, really weird any church that would host them or whatever, you know, so even if they're like emo and hardcore bands, they wouldn't play like, you know, fucking Brooklyn or Philly or New York,
0: anything (laughs) like that. But then you had DC Talk, who again, got to a point by the end of the 90s where they were a genuinely big band. Like again, you know, Jesus Freak goes double platinum. Their next record, Supernatural, debuted at number four on the Billboard charts in 1998. And that was their last Mm -hmm. studio record. And then, uh in in like you know two thousand they go on hiatus, they actually put out an EP called Solo where like each member put out like solo tracks. I think mean, they each had like two solo songs on this EP. So it's kinda like what like KISS did when each member put out a solo record, you know? And I don't know I just wonder I don't know if this story's ever been written. I'm curious to see like if there were if there was some sort of like ego war going on in DC Talk at that point like if they were successful enough where each member kind of felt like I don't need to be in this band I can do my own thing and be uh, successful on my own Uh, there has to be like a behind the music or some sort of biopic about DC Talk to answer these questions because I'd be very intrigued because they really are like the biggest Christian rock band of all time
1: Um, easily 100% yeah and I I would absolutely agree with that but you know drama in any sort of you know, bad vibes is definitely not sexy in the Christian music industry. But, you know, I I have to assume they're making millions of dollars, you know, by the end of the 90s in publishing and and gigs and whatever. So I I assume there was some sort of falling out. And they, you know, they reunited last couple years ago for the first time. They had a DC Talk Jesus Freak cruise.
0: Yes, in 2017.
1: I was dying to go to that when it got announced. I want to do some sort of fucked up. Hunter S. Thompson, like, take a bunch of acid and go to it, kind of thing. I was really wanted to do that.
0: Well, and, you can you see it, there's a YouTube video of, of one of their concerts. Like, I, I watched it, or I watched, like, I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched, I watched part of it. And um, uh, Kevin Max, um, is, he's a little bigger now. Which I didn't recognize him at first. He's like,
1: oh not, yeah, he yeah looked a little, looked a little like shit was going wrong for that seventeen year hiatus or whatever. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I was wondering like if if there's been uh, some extracurricular activities with him, maybe I, you know, not to speak out of class here. I don't, I I I don't, I don't mean to you know slander the man or anything, but because Tate and Mac look the same, and then yeah,
1: Michael Tate looks incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. well, he's he's in the Newsboys. Another big Christian. Yeah, the newsboys
1: the newsboys were probably like yeah, the newsboys were like I think, you know, DC Talk is bigger, but I think Newsboys and DC Talk was kinda like a Beatles Stones thing <laughs> for, you know, Christian rock. And I think everybody kinda had their camp. Right. But, and Newsboys would know, be the
0: Stones because they didn't break up. And so it'd be like if Paul McCartney joined the Stones. That's like
1: Okay, now now we're just oh my god, I can't imagine the possibilities. <laughs> but I, I mean and it sounds you know, it's fun to poke fun at this shit and how corny it was, but I was, like, I looked through, like, the cause there, again, there's like, merchandise that came along, the GC, or the Jesus Freak record, you know, so there's, there's a book called, like, Jesus Freak Martyrs and, you know, Jesus Freak uh, Testimonies of people that heard the record, and I I was, like, genuinely touching, you know, there's a lot of people who were dealt a bad fucking hand in life or whatever, and this record sort of got them through weird shit. I can't fault them for that. No. And it's insane, you know, they DC Talk, this is like the biggest record of the Christian rock in the 90s or contemporary. Yeah, I think ever. Jesus Freak is the biggest Christian rock record of all time. Well, I know, like, yeah, It reached a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I know when I was talking about it on Twitter, like, it got a big response. I mean, I, I really think that, you know, there's people that still love DC Talk, and then there's people that maybe love DC Talk at a certain time in their lives and still remember that record. And it, again, it's like... This wasn't just some little thing. You know, DC Talk probably sold more records than, you know, Pavement or like a lot of indie rock bands that we talk about, or Neutral Milk Hotel or something. I mean, Easily. as much as we talk about those groups from the 90s being these kind of quintessential bands, um, you know, Jesus Freak you know, had a place in many people's CD, you know, booklets or whatever at that time. And, you know, there is going to be another Jesus Free Cruise next summer, by the way, in, in twenty nineteen. So you're if you if you're still looking to do like a Hunter S. Thompson, you know, over the top exploration, the, the oh, opportunity absolutely. is there. Yeah,
1: I, I just pray I don't get seasick, which I typically do.
0: Well I think it it could go the other way too, like where you could come out of it wanting to just make your own Jesus freak type record, you know, like there could be like an intense spiritual experience that happens on this cruise.
1: You know, when I was a lot younger, the pastor of the church said Riley Walker was a pastor's name, man. So I might follow through <laughs> with that dream. <laughs> I, think,
0: I think he's right. It actually is. That is like a very strong, or like, or maybe like a cult leader or something.
1: Yeah, in my in my church, you're allowed to smoke nugs and smoke cigarettes. There's the ashtrays and <laughs> all the pews.
0: <laughs> well, Riley, it was a pleasure talking about this with record with you. I hope to have you on again soon to talk about some other weird, fun, random record that we both think is interesting.
1: Absolutely, and I mean I could talk all day about this. I really appreciate it. And uh, you know, if if you and me got one person to see the light and uh, convert. Can, we can see them in heaven. I think the celebration podcast has been well
0: worth it. Yeah, I think so too, man. I think so too. I think we're I think we're gonna you know change some hearts and minds with this episode. So, Riley, thanks again, man. Take care. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Amen. So that was a lot of fun talking about Jesus, Freak, talking about DC talk, talking about '90s Christian rock. And like I said, you know, I want to have Riley back on again. That was his second time on the podcast, so he's. A friend of the podcast now. Congratulations, Riley. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to have him back on. We're going to talk about more records in that vein. Records that are kind of important, but we forget are important. You know, I think that's a fun thing to do. So hopefully you feel the same. If you like this episode, go to our Twitter page and tell me about it. I'd love to hear your remembrances about DC Talk and all that time. You can find us at Pod. On Twitter. Again, thank you all for listening and supporting the podcast. As always, got to give a shout out to Derek Madden for making the show happen. Thank you, Derek. And a shout out to Josh Copperman for writing our theme song. Thank you, Josh. And thank you all again for tuning in to this week's episode of Celebration Rock. We will talk to you again next week
1: on the Westwood One Podcast Network.